Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Best and Worst of the Weekend. I had no idea J-Lo and Shakira were going to be such a big part of today's show. Charles Hadley is in for Darren Vaught. Intern Will is still taking your calls. Former Andy Reid player Al Wallace dropped by to really help us celebrate my Best of the Weekend and a guy who is many of yours as well. On the commercials, we are a divided nation. On J-Lo and Shakira at halftime, clearly we are a divided nation, although the large majority of our statewide audience, I guess this just shows the kind of people I tend to hang around with, we're in favor of J-Lo and Shakira and their work. Not everybody liked it, as I said, to each his own, to each her own. If you don't like that, I will respect your opinion. You don't have to apologize for having a different opinion than mine. If you're also a person that supports politicians or neighbors or relatives who are living, breathing personifications of misogyny and bigotry and corruption and dishonesty and vulgarity and pettiness and lawlessness. I will call you a hypocrite, and unapologetically so, but you are certainly entitled to feel a certain way about a halftime show, and I will not beat you up for it. 1-800-849-2761. I enjoyed the show. Some of you didn't. That's all good. There's a lot more football to discuss. There's a lot more college basketball to discuss. You can be next with your best or worst of the weekend. Commercials, halftime, Super Bowl, Novak Djokovic, 17-time Grand Slam tennis champion. Sophia Kennan, 21-year-old American, first-time Grand Slam champion for her win at the Australian Open. Webb Simpson won on the PGA Tour. The Carolina Hurricanes had a nice win yesterday in a shootout over the Canucks after an ugly performance against Vegas on Friday. So your votes are all over the place. You can be next following up on one or more of those. Worst of the weekend led by two local basketball teams, the Wolfpack, not only lost to Louisville, which is not embarrassing. It's one of the top teams in the country. Louisville is up to number five in today's poll. NC State lost by 20. That was harder to swallow. UNC didn't just lose in the return game of Cole Anthony, the star freshman point guard. The Tar Heels lost at home to Boston College, which may be the least talented team in the ACC. Those details for many made State and Carolina co-winners, if you will, of the worst of the weekend nomination. 1-800-849-2761. Jeff is in Wilmington. Len is in Greensboro. Warren is in Wake Forest. Miles is in Durham. I mentioned J-Lo in the stripper poll, so let's go to Len in Greensboro. You are next on the David Glenn Show. Welcome to Best and Worst of the Weekend. Hi, DJ. Uh, this may be an okay boomer comment, but I've only seen 53 Super Bowls, so I may not be an expert. Uh, <laughs> I... I, I thought the halftime show was good. I enjoyed – I think that both women are beautiful. I think they're both average dancers, both average singers, but I think they're very beautiful. I didn't have a problem with that. The only problem I had was at the beginning when she climbed to the top of the stripper pole and put her arms out were juxtaposed like Christ, you know, dying on the cross. That's the only problem. I was offended. That, but. I actually didn't even notice that, the, the, whatever that pose was. Uh, are you sure that that's what she was intending to do? Um, and by the way, just a year ago, since you mentioned you've seen 53 Super Bowls, did it bother you when a guy, Adam Levine of Maroon 5, not only was shirtless entirely for much of his performance, frankly, I would have paid extra to see J-Lo and Shakira shirtless at Super Bowl 54. But Adam Levine was entirely shirtless. His entire glossy upper body was available for all the world to see or turn away or hide the kid's eyes. 
In fact, if I remember correctly, Adam Levine's pants, which he did keep on, were so low that you were really seeing very close to his nether regions while perhaps enjoying his six-pack abs and the rest of that display. Did last year when it was a guy bearing all except was on stage at Super Bowl 53, or is it just something about J-Lo and Shakira uh, and stripper poles that had you bothered this year? No, I just I the dancing didn't bother me. Their outfits didn't bother me. It was just the it was just the pose that bothered me. That's the only thing. My wife loved Adam Levine last year. I think it was musically it was much better last year. Um, but uh, my wife, she's a Joe Flacco fan anyway. She she likes him, so she, who knows what else she likes? But uh, I liked the last year's show better. And by the way, and and you know I liked both. I mean, to each his own, to each her own, whatever. My understanding, and I am not a dancer. Does that come as a surprise to you guys? I've never danced with or without a pole professionally, although I'm willing to learn. You know, you never know. Might need a new occupation one of these days. Uh, my understanding is there are actually competitions. I mean, unrelated to, say, my bachelor party in Myrtle Beach, which, frankly, there were poles involved, all right? And there were exotic dancers involved, and I don't apologize for that even a little bit. There are actual athletic competitions involving dancing and poles. Now, I am not an expert on this, but what one, <laughs> what one calls a stripper pole, others call a prop. And it just allows Shakira and J-Lo to display all of their dancing, their phenomenal dancing skills. Again, I am not an expert on this, but I've been told there are non- and we don't like to use strippers on this show. I, I, I find that a pejorative term. I prefer exotic dancers. There are pole dancing contests that do not involve exotic dancers. I mean, athletes using poles while dancing. This is a real thing. So, again, one man's stripper pole is another man's prop. 1-800-849-2761. God bless America. Jeff in Wilmington, you're next on the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hey, BG, thanks. Um, in general, first off, I want to say I enjoyed the Super Bowl a lot, and I enjoyed the fact that there was a lot of um, woman empowerment as sort of a sub-theme of the Super Bowl, both the San Francisco coach. There was. And, there was. Um, some of the other commercials that were specifically about um, female empowerment. A lot and of female empowerment. And by the way, sorry to cut you off. For anyone willing to look for it and remember it, rather than just waking up angry the next day or in the moment and, and tweeting a lot of baggage that they're carrying around, there was an overwhelming tidal wave of women empowerment issues in and around the Super Bowl, including the 49ers assistant coach, first in the history of a Super Bowl, a woman part of one of the coaching staffs, and a lot of the commercials, and a lot of other things. Again, I hate, and I'm flashing back to law school because we had a lot of these conversations. The empowerment of women does not require women to do what other women say they should do. The whole point is choice, empowerment, right? I'm allowed to alienate dudes. I'm allowed to alienate other women. The ones that kill me are, are the folks who say, oh, they're in favor of women empowerment. As long as the women pick jobs and performances that pass their Puritan test. 
that just do I have can I have a just a sledgehammer can I throw it through the glass that separates free, me from my staff some of these hi hypocritical points of view drive me crazy it's it's 2020 right it's not 1920 is it have I woken up in a time machine it's not 1820 is it please tell me it is if it is go ahead Jeff I'm sorry to digress not a problem 2020 2020 you know, I was watching the show uh, with my two daughters, uh, 11 and 17, and you know they they enjoyed the show. I made a special point of pointing out the assistant coach for San Francisco and how this is a first, and and you know obviously some of those things that you want to have as far as conversations with your daughters. Um, but in regards to a previous caller who talked about his, I believe it was 10-year-old daughter, and how do you have that conversation? Um, you had mentioned, well, you know, if you have HBO or whatever. I don't think it even has to go that far. Uh, one of the shows that we like watching as a family is So You Think You Can Dance. If you look at any of the dances on there, oftentimes the outfits are just as revealing or skimpy, and yet it seems as if it's ballet or if it's modern dance or something else, it's looked at as an art form, and when it's something else, it's treated as if it's almost pornographic. And I just think that that reveals more about the viewer than it reveals about the performer. I feel the way you do about that. And, of course, everybody gets to draw that line in their own place. I mean, that's a cool thing about our country. Other countries, they tell you what you are and are not allowed to see to a much greater degree. There are, there are some lines in our country, some things that are just so over the top that you're not allowed to see them or not allowed to produce them. But for the most part, we give people choice. And that includes parents have choices on how to discuss things with their children. You can hide them from all of it, but I've seen enough. I, I'm not a watcher of, say, Dancing with the Stars, which I believe is very mainstream. And Jeff just named, I think, a different show that is also very mainstream. I know enough because I'm often watching sports on my computer while the lovely and talented Maria is watching. She loves The Voice. She's watched Dancing with the Stars. She gets into whatever, Bachelor, Bachelorette sometimes. So I kind of, I just kind of half watch some of her shows. The, the outfits worn by J-Lo and Shakira were not at all extraordinary compared to what you see in mainstream these are, I'm not talking about like <laughs> late night showtime, right? I'm talking about network television. Before you go to bed, they're dancing and it's clearly an art form. And some are upset because the clothes are too revealing or there's a pole involved or whatever. I, I, I have a list of things that make me upset in life. None of them involve dancing or stripper poles or this year's halftime show. 1-800-849-2761. There are much bigger, more important things to get Ben out of shape over again. The cool thing for you, if you have a different opinion, you can govern your household however you like. You can raise your children however you like. J-Lo and Shakira did it their way. People want to criticize them, they can criticize them. To me, I know J-Lo's story better than I know Shakira's. She is absolutely, positively a shining example of women empowerment. She is, she is a walking, talking conglomerate. She, she has built an empire, the envy of 99% of the people in the world. And she has done it through some old-fashioned ways, work ethic, honing your skills. Maybe you didn't love her dancing or her singing, but guess what? Enough millions of others do 
that she is in great demand. And she manages that career, and she has built a financial empire, and she doesn't have to apologize for anybody for dancing her way, singing her way. And I, I didn't see. I mean, I just – I think I approach every day trying not to go out of my way for reasons to be offended. Like, if it lands in my lap, I'm going to be offended. But I don't seek things out. Oh, was that pose in the middle of that? Was it some kind of Christ-like pose, and that's offensive and sacrilegious? And I mean, I just didn't even see it. Is it okay? Hey, that's those men are handling J-Lo, and those men are not her husband. I mean, what are we, pilgrims? Like, they're dancing. Some dancers are male, and some dancers are female. And, yeah, sometimes the larger dancers toss around the smaller dancers. And often the smaller dancers are women. And, yes, they were the stars of the show. And for a while they were surrounded by dudes, often dancing. Some of them, I don't even remember. Were they, were they like Adam Levine? Did they have bare chests as well? Did the nation survive the, the year after, after Adam? Was it all right? I don't mean Adam and Eve. We've come a long way, baby. I mean Adam Levine. Different context, right? Different challenges. But, you know, I saw way below his navel last year. Way below his navel. I mean, talk about revealing. We're still here. We're okay. And if that's the most challenging conversation you ever have to have with your kid, consider yourself lucky. 1-800-849-2761. Back after this on The David Glenn Show. I believe it is the NBA's turn in the line dance. And I don't think they can dance. I don't think they can dance as well as DG dances. And I'm only a three or a four. The David Glenn Show, weekdays at noon. Ask him three times, are you sure? He said, Coach, I feel great. I don't feel any problems. I just want to play. Everybody thinks that he caused us to play poorly. They're an idiot. And you look at the line, I mean, 14 to 14 from line, 26 points, uh, five rebounds, three assists, one turnover, two steals. It does take time for guys to get used to it. But four for 19 from three-point line doesn't help you. And 21%, we've been shooting 29 or 30. Garrison's played great. We go 0 for 7 from the free throw line. It's things that don't usually happen. Every Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Best and Worst of the Weekend. UNC basketball, that was Roy Williams. NC State basketball, Kevin Keats, a guest on our show not long ago, as was Coach Williams. They both took some lumps this weekend. Wolfpack lost to Louisville, which is understandable. The Cardinals in today's poll are up to number five in the national rankings. Duke, by the way, is now number seven. Florida State is at number eight. So three of the top eight in the country are in the ACC. But the ACC might have hardly anything off to offer beyond that when it comes to NCAA tournament bids. Too, too early to know for sure. A month plus of regular season action still to go. But three teams from the middle of the pack, if you will. Wolfpack losing at home to Louisville. Syracuse losing at home to Duke. Virginia Tech losing at home to Florida State. They got the heavyweights. They got them at home. They got the national TV hype. They got the players jacked up. They had the home crowd behind them. And none of the three really came close. Syracuse pushed the Blue Devils for a while. Vernon Carey Jr., Cassius Stanley, 
two freshmen for the Blue Devils were fantastic. 26 points and 17 rebounds for Big Vern up at the Carrier Dome. And Cassius Stanley, you had to watch the game to understand what I'm about to say. You could look at the box score, 15 points, five assists, four rebounds for Cassius Stanley, a wing player and another great freshman for the Blue Devils. He was entirely and completely unafraid. When you're in the Carrier Dome in front of that many people, one of the biggest crowds regular season in college basketball history, many of them are Syracuse home games because it's a football-basketball combo arena, and they can pack a lot in there. If you're a freshman, you've probably never played in an environment like that. And you're the enemy. I mean, you're, you're a visiting player of Duke. And opposing crowds get up for the Blue Devils and, in most years, the Tar Heels every year anyway. They treat it like a, excuse the expression, Super Bowl. In that environment, while the Orange was going for a while toe-to-toe with the Devils, Jim Beheim's a Hall of Fame coach. He knows that that would have been the resume builder that he needed. Orange have been on a roll, by the way. I personally believe they're going to make the NCAA tournament. They don't have enough right now, but if they had beaten Duke, it would have been a big step in the right direction. It got away. But it didn't get away because Syracuse was bad. It got away because two Duke freshmen, obviously at this point well into those rookie years, were completely and entirely unafraid of the Bayheim zone, of the Syracuse fans. Syracuse is good. They might be the fourth best team in this league. If it's not Syracuse, it might be a UVA. I know the Wolfpack's trying to get there, but took a step back against Louisville. When Cassius Stanley joins Vernon Carey Jr. as absolutely ready for bigger games and bigger environments, sometimes you get to March and you're not sure your freshmen are really ready. Last year, Duke had an amazing season. Two of the top three freshmen were ready. Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett were two of the best players in the entire country. Zion won National Player of the Year as a freshman. Of course, ACC Player of the Year as well. Cam Reddish was the third freshman. Trey Jones, you could say, was the third freshman. But they needed more from Cam. He wasn't ready. And guess what? When Duke became too predictable, Trey was not a great offensive weapon as a freshman. He's better as a sophomore this year. Cam Reddish was a lottery pick, but he wasn't ready to help Duke win games when opponents dared him to beat them. They said, you know what? We're going to double Zion. We're going to double RJ. and We're going to dare Cam Reddish to beat him. And sometimes Cam would hit the huge shot. Remember the one against Florida State to win the game? It's not like he laid an egg his whole season. But by March, he was not ready. He did not have the confidence level that Mike Krzyzewski needed to put together a national championship run. One by one, this year's Duke freshman. Vernon's been ready since, like, December. Cassius Stanley, over the last month or so, has joined that club. And Matthew Hurd is not far behind. The 6'9 or so kind of stretch forward, hits threes. He's been asked to get a little tougher on defense. He's making baby steps along those lines. But if Duke gets to March and it's Big Vern down low, National Player of the Year candidate, he might succeed Zion Williamson in that title, even though he's a freshman. Trey Jones as a sophomore is rock solid almost every night. Been asked to cut down on turnovers. He's making steps in that direction. Cassius Stanley is one heck of a third wheel. He's a better third wheel right now on February 3rd than Cam Reddish was in the entirety of his Duke career. That's an important step forward for the Blue Devils as they beat a tough opponent there at their place in Syracuse and as they move up to number seven in the national rankings. Louisville, Duke, and Florida State 
are the heavyweights in this league. I believe the Cards and the Devils have even more to offer than the Seminoles and are even closer to where they want to be come March Madness, whether that's the ACC tournament in Greensboro next month, we'll see you there, or the big bracket after that. Miles is in Durham, and next on the David Glenn Show, Ryan and Wendell wants in on another worst of the weekend. Still more want in on J-Lo and Shakira and the halftime show, Super Bowl commercials, and, of course, I think all of us are saluting Andy Reid today, the 21st-year NFL head coach, the sixth winningest coach in NFL history, finally got his first Super Bowl ring. Al Wallace, his former player, joined us earlier, also a former Carolina Panther. He joined the legions that are celebrating Big Red the day after his first Super Bowl title. Miles, welcome to the show. Go right ahead. Hey, David, it's Miles, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. What's on your mind? Um, these Tar Heels, man. I know we've been riddled with injuries. We got Anthony back, but I just wasn't too impressed, you know, on, uh, or I guess it was yesterday night, and we got, or Saturday night. Yeah. Now we've got the uh, Seminoles tonight. So I just wanted to pick your thoughts. What do you think is going on? I think the Tar Heels are in trouble this week. Going to Florida State under normal circumstances is hard, right? Florida State's won like 58 of their last 61 home games. So whether you're the struggling Tar Heels or anybody else, this is a hard assignment tonight. Uh, I think it's the 7 o'clock game on ESPN. Duke visits Chapel Hill this coming Saturday. I know rivalry games, you say, throw the records out the window. I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I will say this. Cole Anthony's getting some deserved criticism because he didn't know what to do on the final possession. It wasn't like Boston College whacked the Tar Heels. It was a nail-biter. And one of several plays going the right way would have meant the Tar Heels beat the Eagles. The right way meaning good execution, you know, no boneheaded plays from the Carolina perspective. When Cole Anthony was on the court in that game, and he did not start, he played 26 minutes. The Tar Heels outscored Boston College by 11 when Anthony was on the court. That means they got outscored by even more when he was on the bench. Anybody who said we were overstating his importance, no. That says it right there. He wasn't even his best self. And yet with Cole Anthony, that's a pretty dominating plus 11. Without Cole Anthony, minus 12, would that be? Yeah. So he botched the last play. And you got to, even as a freshman point guard, you have to know the play. You could say Garrison Brooks was late on the screen or whatever. It was an embarrassingly bad series of execution by the Tar Heels at the end of that game. I mean, Brandon Robinson can't, and I feel bad for the young man because he's just taken beating after beating. It's a sprained ankle this time. It was the rib injury. He's, he's been helped to the locker room a lot this year. And you can tell that he's a proud senior in a proud program, and he just doesn't want the season to get away to the degree beyond it's already getting away. So he's emptying the effort bucket. He's playing with his heart on his sleeve. But you can't put the referee, Jamie Lucky, who's gotten all the criticism, you can't put Jamie Lucky in the situation of seeing you hit the shooter's arm on the three-pointer. You can't do it. The Tar Heels' execution down the stretch in the only game they've ever lost to Clemson at home was diabolically bad in the last two minutes. Tar Heels were up 10 against the Clemson Tigers with two minutes to go and lost the game in overtime. That's not a talent issue. Why are the Tar Heels struggling more generally? Of course. They don't have as many future NBA players as they usually do. They have one or two. Roy Williams often has six or seven. They don't have as many top 50 signees as they usually have out of high school. They have two. Roy Williams sometimes has seven or eight 
right? That's the difference. Now, you, nobody cries for the Tar Heels because even when they have less than their usual talent, they still have competitive talent. Well, when you take a lesser amount of talent and you miss your best player, Cole Anthony, for so long, and then he's a little rusty when he comes back and the execution breaks down and the, the execution was even worse than that loss to Clemson, well, then you're going to be 10 and 11. And at risk, Roy Williams has been a college basketball coach, counting as an assistant to Dean Smith for more than four decades. And he joked with me when he visited our show recently, DG, I'm going to blame you if this year is the first losing record that he has ever experienced. Because I asked him that question. Dating back to the 1970s, Roy Williams has never been a part of a losing season in college basketball, ever. Not the first year at Kansas when he was inheriting a scandal from his predecessor. Not his first year at Carolina when he was inheriting a player mutiny from Matt Doherty. Not 10 years ago when they were 16 and 16 and missed the NCAA tournament. What did they do? They went to the NIT and won four straight games to finish 20 and 17. Again, he didn't finish with a losing record. This would be a first and if you're 10 and 11 and you got a bunch of cupcakes ahead, that's one thing. They're 10 and 11. As Miles said, they still have some injury issues. And some of those guys, you know, Anthony Harris, et cetera, not coming back. Garrison Brooks was not great against Boston College. Armando Baycott was not good enough against Boston College. Brandon Robinson put himself in position of having that foul called on the three-point attempt. And Cole Anthony and others botched the final sequence. That's a lot that went wrong beyond you don't have as many prep All-Americans as you usually do. I think that part was easy to see last summer. I, I spent much of the summer telling UVA and UNC fans, if you don't think you're taking a step back after losing all that talent, either your seniors or in some cases early NBA entries, like you just haven't followed college basketball for very long. Because unless you have just another Noah's Ark of prep All-Americans to follow, how many Tar, how many tar Heels moved on? They're seniors like Luke May and Kenny Williams and Cam Johnson, plus Kobe White and Nasir Little as one-and-done freshmen. Good luck the year after losing five of your best players, right? Same with UVA. They lost four of their five starters after winning the national title, including their three best players. Of course you're going to come back to the pack a little bit. UVA is still in the hunt for an NCAA tournament at large bid. Coming back to the pack for them was going from national champion to bubble team. We see that more regularly. Believe it or not, three of the last 10 NCAA champions missed the NCAA tournament the year after they won it all. So it wasn't just Roy Williams winning it in 2009 and all those guys left, and then he was an NIT guy in 2010. John Calipari won it all. And all those dudes left, and they were in the NIT the next year. UConn won it all, and a lot of key dudes left, and they were in the NIT next year. UVA's coming back to the pack is something more like we've seen in those very recent examples, three of the last ten years. Carolina's crashing back to earth can't be explained by just the talent differential. Roy Williams is an earnest, hardworking, proud dude who, oddly enough, had the heels without Cole Anthony playing as a better version of themselves. Weren't they better the last couple games compared to what they were prior to that? It was almost as if they started to figure out what Roy wanted in terms of pushing the ball, sharing the ball, who's supposed to be where. Armando Baycott got a little better. Garrison Brooks, prior to BC, was fantastic. He was like a double-double machine and just did not play as well against Boston College. I still think the Tar Heels, when you look at the ACC, they have more talent 
and potential than Georgia Tech or Miami or Boston College or Wake Forest. And if you think that's too subjective, just keep in mind, I'd, I'd even add Clemson to that list. Uh, the Tar Heels have three quad one victories. So if you think, ah, Glenn's, you know, Glenn's just seeing something that I can't see. Those other teams that I mentioned, Wake Forest doesn't have a single quad one win. That's the most difficult type to get. You're either beating a top 75 team. There, there's several different contexts. But if you beat a top 75 team on the road, a true road game, or a top 50 team at a neutral site, or a top 30 team at your place, it's called a quad one win. Wake doesn't have any of those. Boston College has one of those. Miami has one of those. Georgia Tech has one of those. Clemson has one of those. Notre Dame only has one of those. Pitt has a couple. NC State has a couple. The Tar Heels have three. The Tar Heels beat Oregon, which is a really good team, with Cole Anthony. The Tar Heels beat Alabama, which is a pretty good team, with Cole Anthony. And then the Tar Heels won at NC State. That's a top 75 road win, so that's their third quad one victory. That shows that the Heels at least have more potential than all of those in the bottom half of the ACC. But obviously, if you're 10 and 11 and you got at Florida State tonight, you've got Duke at home on Saturday, you are incredibly likely to be 10 and 13. And when you look at the rest of the schedule, it is really hard to figure out how Roy Williams is going to avoid the first losing record that he's associated with in more than 40 years as a college basketball coach. It's, it's possible, but, man, they are running short on time. Ryan in Wendell has NC State basketball on his mind. The Wolfpack and the Tar Heels were the co-leaders in the worst of the weekend vote. Go ahead, Ryan. Hey, Dave, how are you? All right, man, what's going on? Well, um, I know that there's some folks in the local media who make fun of people who say things like I'm about to say, but so be it. Okay. I really think that NC State has won this season. And, well, uh, all right. The main, the main reason is, is because, you know, they, they started off with a team with a lot of potential. You, know, you look, oh, this is yeah, pretty good. The silence. Agree. I, I think the Wolfpack has, while well, Joe Lenardi and others have had him projected as a, an NCAA tournament team, I don't believe right now, but last week, the week before that, the week before that. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, the coach has been there long enough to sort of get his system in place yeah. and so on and so forth. So this was expected to be a decent year, not amazing. Agree. But And so they worked their way into fourth in the ACC. You know, they had some good, solid wins. The, the win at Virginia was tremendous. And I thought, oh, here they go. They're finally getting it. And then they started playing like NC State again. And, you know, they, there's just this pattern with this school that I don't understand. No. But I, I, can, but I have this terrible feeling. Like I get I, it. A terrible feeling. It's not no skin off of my back if NC State blows this season. But, you know, I'm looking at it and thinking, here we're going to see, you know, a team that maybe goes 500 for the rest of the season and will scream, hey, we should have been in you know, while still dropping a game like the Carolina game. When Carolina, as you just outlined, yeah. is a flaw. It was the time to get them. It was the time to get them, and especially because it was at PNC Arena, and the Tar Heels instead won that game convincingly. You've probably seen the hashtags, Ryan, you know, NC State stuff, or there's a more profane version out there as well. And, you know, it's kind of like, for what you described there, actually accurately, when the Wolfpack was playing a lot better, senior guard C.J. Bryce was I follow this stuff very closely. He was playing as one of the 10 best players in the Atlantic Coast Conference. 
if you just look at the numbers that he had prior to his injury right after Christmas, and this is where the hashtag NC State stuff comes in, you can be frustrated with your coach. Some of my favorite people in the world are Wolfpack fans. Some of my closest friends are Wolfpack fans. And they use the phrase, here we go again, more than any other fan that I know of any team in any sport. And when C.J. Bryce, while warming up for a game, gets accidentally hit by one of his own teammates while building seriously an all-ACC resume and ends up with a concussion and misses four games, and then he's not himself when he comes back, and he has zero points at a loss to Georgia Tech and zero points at a loss to Carolina, and he actually played a little better against Louisville, but that game was not close, uh, and the Wolfpack ends up losing by 20. Hashtag NC State stuff. And they barely missed the NCAA tournament last year, right? They were the bubble team, and they just ended up on the wrong side of the fence. Hashtag NC State stuff. You can't beat UNC even in the year where Roy Williams may have a losing record, even when you get him on your home court. Hashtag NC State stuff. Uh, and one more that we've been following all season. Markel Johnson, last year, their senior point guard. And Kevin Keats joined our show and talked about him putting too much pressure on himself because mo like most college seniors beyond basketball or sports, you know, they're thinking about their next step. And if you're Markel Johnson, you're wondering what scouts are thinking. Not just NBA, but there's a lot of great jobs all over the world in professional basketball where you can make six figures even if you don't make the NBA. Well, the guy who shot 42% from three-point range last year, that is a great percentage. If you're over 40% from three-point land, you are really stroking it. He's shooting 25% this year from three-point land. That's not a slight change. That is dramatic. That is mind-boggling. You, you sometimes see that from a young player. You don't usually see the junior shoot 42%, and then you'd expect him to get a little better as a senior. He's, and he's down at 25, which is a horrific three-point percentage. Same thing at the line. Free throws, 75% last year. He's barely above 50% this year. Hashtag NC State stuff. Like, how do you explain that? Good free throw shooters don't magically stop becoming good free throw shooters. 75% is really good. 42% on threes is really good. And 25 and 54% are the current numbers, and they're really bad. That's your senior point guard. That's one of the building blocks of your team. I don't think they're dead yet because Kevin Keats took them to the big dance two years ago while doing a good coaching job. I understand why fan fans are frustrated when Ryan McMahon of Louisville whose greatest skill by a 1,000 miles is hitting a three-point shot. I think everybody knows that. He scores a game-high 23 points, making seven out of 10 three-point attempts. And here's what hurts Wolfpack fans the most, and I, don't, I do not blame you for being frustrated or mad at your coach or whatever on this. Ryan McMahon, in his previous five games combined, had 21 points. Why? Because everybody knows he's a three-point shooter, and you cannot get you cannot leave him. He will kill you with threes if you help off of him. 21 total points over five games. That's four points a game. Plays the Wolfpack, gets a lot of open threes, hits seven out of ten, eight out of 12 from the field overall. 23 points for Ryan McMahon in a single game after he had 21 points in the previous five combined. That's frustrating. You're not a crazy fan if you're mad about that. I'd encourage you to not give up on this year's Wolfpack because in the power rankings, one through 15, they're probably up there at like number seven. That might sound strange because you've been licking your wounds lately, but they got a better chance than Notre Dame, Clemson, Carolina, Georgia Tech, Miami, Boston College, and Wake Forest, perhaps among others. So it's not a great place to be, 
But there are others that will remind you there are much worse places to be back after this. I would never be so competitive, so childish, that I would actually keep track of my record as a coach in youth soccer. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So when I think about my 78 wins, two losses, and four ties, <laughs> not that I was keeping track or anything. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. It is a last call for phone calls. Lines have been jammed for most of these three hours. They are open for the first time in a long time. You can jump in with your best or worst of the weekend, a question or comment about Super Bowl 54. J-Lo and Shakira got more thumbs up than thumbs down today. But there were those who did not like that performance. The commercials mostly went over well, according to USA Today's ad meter. The political ads finished in two of the bottom three spots, at least for those in that poll. Bill Murray's Groundhog Day, Smot Pock, Cool Ranch Doritos, Loretta and Google, Can't Touch This Cheetos, Mama Tests 5G, which was a cell phone company, and as good as the original from Mountain Dew, they were among the favorite at least the favorites at least in the usa today ad meter they've been doing that every year for a long time after the super bowl at usatoday.com 1-800-849-2761 it is your last chance to jump in with your best or worst of the weekend from college basketball the super bowl or elsewhere in the sports universe one quick thing from me because i spent most of my best of on andy reed and patrick mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, not only the obvious win, but maybe some of the less obvious details. I also share, of course, the Bill Murray as Phil Connors Groundhog Day redo in the Jeep commercial. It was fantastic to see, especially from my perspective, as somebody who's been trying to get Bill on our show for a long time, but knows how tricky and difficult he, he can be to reach. It was a long journey. You can read about it at usatoday.com. They didn't think this commercial was going to happen for a while, and then it ends up being voted number one in the USA Today ad meter. As Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and others are understandably best of the weekend, I did not necessarily think that the 49ers or Kyle Shanahan or Jimmy Garoppolo or, you know, Richard Sherman gave up the big catch by former Clemson star Sammy Watkins late in the game. He actually apologized, says he needs to learn from it, needs to get better, etc. The Chiefs, again, at one point, had a 3.9% win probability, according to the computers, they put together what was the only 21-point fourth quarter in Super Bowl history. Again, that's over 54 years. 21 straight points, three straight touchdown drives for Patrick Mahomes when the Chiefs were down 10 very late. That was in the final six minutes and change of the fourth quarter. I don't think there is a true worst of the weekend as we go to Matt and Durham and you, 1-800-849-2761. Again, worst of the weekend, Wolfpack against Louisville, yes. Tar Heels against Boston College, yes. And there were others. Jimmy Garoppolo, for me, was not a worst of the weekend, but he reinforced something in a bad way, just as Patrick Mahomes reinforced something in a good way. Even at 24 years old, even against a San Francisco defense that had proven itself all year as one of the best the NFL had to offer. Even under those circumstances, down 10 late, and after throwing two interceptions, you got to believe in yourself, and you better have teammates who believe in you even through that kind of adversity. Patrick Mahomes led that comeback. You could argue that others were more deserving of MVP, and I think you're not crazy to have that debate, but he got it done. 
He's going to Disney World. Again, we could debate the award, but he got it done. In the same way that most of us who thought the Chiefs would win circled Patrick Mahomes as by far the number one reason they would win. Anyone who was skeptical about the 49ers put somewhere on their list, usually number one, less than that sort of belief in Jimmy Garoppolo. He had a good season. Not a great season, not a bad season, but a good season. Twice as many touchdown passes as interceptions. He did lead three or four second-half comebacks when the Niners' defense was not dominating as much and they needed him to be more than, you know, the eight-passes game manager that he was in one of the earlier playoff games this year. When the Niners needed Garoppolo the way the, the Chiefs needed Mahomes, Jimmy G didn't deliver. And he had one of those moments, Al Wallace, who played in the NFL, our guest earlier because he played for Andy Reid and offered some personal perspective on why he was cheering for Big Red, uh, who coached him with the Philadelphia Eagles. Jimmy G had his moment, and it was in the fourth quarter, and there was less than two minutes remaining. And a lot of 49ers were in shock because that 10-point lead had gone away. And it's third and 10, and you have the ball at the 49-yard line. And it's a minute and 40 to go. And you actually had some timeouts to work with, too. And you had a guy open underneath. But you correctly saw, you correctly saw, as a 28-year-old quarterback, who, of course, famously waited behind Tom Brady in New England and then got hurt earlier in his time in San Fran. So this was his first full-time year as a starter. And at 28, with some experience under his belt and a good season under his belt, he saw Emmanuel Sanders. He made the gutsier throw. He didn't go underneath. He saw Sanders open behind two guys. He had two steps on any, either of those defensive backs. And that one throw, he overthrew by two yards. Not a little. Two yards is a lot. Correct read, bad throw, horrible timing. It is life-changing, the difference between making that, who knows if it would have been a game winner, but making that touchdown pass, go ahead, or, or big-time throw, I should say, rather than being the guy that missed by two yards and you don't know when you're going to get to go back. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. Christian Leitner, thanks for joining us. It's been less than a week since the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30. The final product of the movie was absolutely awesome. I love every second of it. Maybe I'm not seeing the same thing everyone else is seeing, but I thought the movie was awesome and I loved it. Keep it here on The David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the they come. Thanks to former Panthers and Eagles defensive end, player of Andy Reid, Al Wallace, for dropping by. Charles Hadley for producing intern Will as well. TV picks tonight include UNC Florida State on ESPN. Lavelle Moten and Central host Norfolk State on ESPNU at 7. Hornets are at home against the Magic, NHL, and NBA as well. Enjoy the games. See you tomorrow. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people in North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.